0: Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this B2B Marketing webinar. Um, my name is David Rowlands. I'm the editor at B2B Marketing. Um, and I'm joined today by Leslie Talbot, who's the Senior Vice President of Strategic Marketing Programs at Corporate Visions. Um, now, as I'm sure you're all aware, today, uh, today's webinar, which is titled four key marketing skills to drive buying decisions. is going to help you learn four science-based skills that marketers need to know to become uh, memorable enough to influence buying decisions. Um, So in a moment, Leslie's going to take over and she's going to uh, get the presentation underway. Um, But just before we do that, if you have any questions at all, please do put them in the question box on your screen. Um, Usually what we do is we take all the questions at the end of the webinar. But in this instance, um, because it's it's broken into four distinct sections. Um, we're going to take questions throughout. So the second you think of a question, by all means, please put it in there. Um, it's worth saying as well, they're all completely anonymous. So, um, you know, please don't feel embarrassed or, or think you've got a bad question. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got a question and you don't know the answer to, the chances are someone else is in the same boat. So um, please do get them in. Other than that, that's really sort of enough for me. So, Leslie, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and get the presentation underway?
1: Yes. Okay. thank you so much. And um, I first of all want to thank everybody for being here today. And there's nothing that I like more than talking about marketing to other marketers so this is always one of my one of my favorite presentations to give i just wanted to give everyone a heads up that if you like what you hear if you like what you see the um the giveaway at the end of this this webinar is actually an ebook the this presentation in ebook format. So you can download it from the attachments tab or you can download it from the link we post at the end. But you know, f- uh, please do feel free to grab that. Uh, there's a lot of really great information in there. It goes into a little bit more detail about what I'm going to present today. So I am going to go ahead and get started. So uh, one of the things that I, I think everyone knows who's viewing this talk as a marketer is you know, this idea that the buying process has become much more digital, um, even over the last four years. I think um, analysts now estimate that something like 80% of the buying journey takes place in digital settings. And and by the, def- the, the definition of digital has actually expanded over the last few years, to, especially in the past year, to not only include self-service that buyers do on the web, but actually digital interactions with sellers as well. Just a whole lot of um, emphasis now being placed on that digital aspect of the buyer's journey, and you know it's it's a good thing in general because one of the things that um, Forrester has and Gartner have both reported on is this idea that buyers really don't want to engage face to face with sellers anymore. Um, the latest stat is something like. Um, your typical B2B buyer only spends about 17% of their time now meeting with potential suppliers of solutions that they're interested in. And what that means for you is if you are a seller and you're engaged in one of those typical kind of three vendor buying processes, you usually end up getting about 5% of your buyer's decision cycle, which, you know, in a, in a world where... There's so much competition and so much noise and and so much um, attention being placed on different solutions. That's a really, really hard barrier to break through. And that's changed a lot from the olden days, right? So um, we all remember kind of the olden days as marketers where, you know, our job was primarily focused around running campaigns and driving awareness of solutions. And you know, that would generate interest on the part of the buyers. And then there would be some sort of a handoff to your sales organization where they would then drive the buyer toward a decision. What we're seeing happening now, and this should again come as no surprise to you, is that, you know, the marketing's role has driven much further down the funnel. Instead of just driving campaigns and driving awareness, we are now actually actively responsible for nurturing those leads for providing self-service buyer enablement-type tools. Um, And in more and more cases, actually owning the business development inside sales function within organizations, including enablement. And in fact, um, the latest statistics show that um, analysts expect that in the coming years, at least 50% of organizations will have enablement report up to marketing versus traditionally where they'd always reported to sales so we're getting that much more involved in the in the 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 buyer funnel and that means that marketers are that much more responsible now for driving buying decisions and that makes sense in a way because marketing has the content marketing has the processes marketing has the discipline to take a much more scientific approach to the demand gen and thus the the business development and the actual decision cycle. And it's not just on the acquisition side that you see this happening either. Marketing is also getting increasing ownership over a secondary funnel, which is what we call the expansion funnel. So once somebody becomes a customer, you don't just stop marketing to them. You actually have to you have to market to those customers in a different way too. So you see marketing much more involved in the renewal and the upsell side of the equation as well. And all of those things are the things that marketing does to help drive revenue, to help drive commercial engagement. The one thing that we do know about what buying decisions involve is memory. So people make buying decisions based on what they remember, not on what they forget. And if, um, Memory drives decisions, and marketers are responsible for driving more decisions. It's all that much much more critical for your marketing to actually be memorable. And this is where, sadly, um, my fellow marketers, we we often fall down. Uh, we're also we we often don't do as good a job. Um, what we see happening again and again is you know messages being generated that, that by marketing that lack situational context, meaning they might be directed at the wrong person, the wrong type of buyer, at the wrong point in their buying journey. We also see that the content that marketers produce, and we produce content, boy, do we produce content, we know how to produce content, but a lot of times the content is mainly unfocused and thus forgettable. We also see time and time again that because the content is forgettable, the offers are forgettable, and if offers offers are forgettable, Offers are not actionable. And as a result of that, what ends up happening is your brand, your narrative, your story gets lost in the crowd of noise that your buyers are hearing. So memory drives decisions. Um, Marketing is driving more decisions, ergo, it stands to reason that marketers themselves need to find ways to stand out to be more memorable. And what our research shows is that there's really four key areas that marketers can influence that marketers need to master to be more memorable. And those four functions are number one, messaging, creating great messages. Uh, That's where all of your marketing starts content meaning you've got to deliver those messages in compelling memorable content assets those content assets need to be supported by great compelling visuals and you need to wrap all those up in a story that's going to be memorable that's going to make sense to your buyers it's going to be something that they can act on after the fact so we're going to take a look through each one of these four key skills and um, i like i said i will break uh, after each section for questions But um, I do wanna start off with messaging because that to me is where everything starts. I'm a writer by heart and I love the message. I love the message creation process. So Corporate Visions, my company, we do a lot of research. We survey our customer base. We survey the B2B market in general. And one of our surveys that we ran recently shows um, that 53% of the marketing organizations that we talk to actually lack a formal message development methodology, meaning they don't have any official way to create messages. It's mostly organic in these organizations. Now, to their credit, 77% of the people we surveyed said, yeah, it would be important and a good idea to have a consistent process, but they just don't have that process in place. And as a result of that, what you see happening, and I'm sure you all see this in your organizations as well, is you see a lot of different messages being delivered by different parts of the organization. So marketing puts out a message, the sellers then take that message and either ignore it or do different stuff with it. Um, if you're, you know, working in a distributor, or a channel model, that message gets diluted even further. And the customer success is having their own conversations with, with customers as well. And as a result of that, all the customer hears is a lot of noise and a lot of confusion from people who should be speaking with a unified voice in the organization. Um, so what's the end result of that? What happens with that? Well, you know is number one, as marketers, we end up creating a lot of leads that never close. Um, The prospects get confused. They abandon the buying process entirely. And existing customers that you're trying to sell more to either won't expand business with you or even worse, they won't renew the existing contracts that they have. So how do you combat that? How do you get through this? Well, Um, To create memorable messages, we believe there's really three things that you need to do. Number one is that to develop compelling messages, you actually need to not just kind of guess or go with your gut, but there's actually decision science principles that you can apply to your message creation that will help guide the way that you build these messages. Um, One of the things that you're going to hear about from me is this idea that when you are trying to market to a new customer, you need to disrupt their natural status quo bias. You'll hear more about that in a second. And then when you are expanding business or trying to renew business with existing customers, you actually reinforce their status quo bias. You defend the advantage that you have as the incumbent vendor in that account. And what do I mean by that? Most people that we talk to believe that marketing messages can be used in both customer acquisition and customer expansion. That you can use the same messages for both of those activities, whether you're trying to get a new customer or whether you're trying to renew business with an existing customer. And it stands to reason that people would think that because if a message is good enough to get someone in the door, it's probably good enough to keep them. In fact, what our research shows is that they are not the same thing at all. In fact, Customer acquisition and customer expansion messages are not meant to be similar. They shouldn't be similar. And that goes back to this concept that I referred to earlier, which is status quo bias. The human beings hate change. The human brain hates change. To acquire a new customer in an environment in a, who, where people hate change means that you need to work really hard to defeat their natural status quo bias you need to give them a reason to do something different. Why should they change and why should they change now? You Need to defeat their natural status quo bias in order to do that. But once they cross the Rubicon and they become an existing customer, the last thing in the world you want to do is defeat their status quo bias because now you are the status quo. So you definitely don't want to defeat yourself. So when you're messaging to an existing customer, you actually need to defend your your position as the incumbent. You need to reinforce their status quo bias. And you do that by giving them a reason to stay and a reason to evolve. There's different message frameworks that you can use for all of these scenarios. And I'm just gonna take you through them briefly. So when you are in an acquisition motion and what you wanna do is get them to change and buy your solution, the first thing that you need to do is you need to give them a reason to change. Um, most, Most marketers, most sellers, tend to assume that if somebody is engaged in some semblance of a buying cycle with you that they're eventually going to buy something what we know is that at least 60 percent of qualified sales opportunities actually end up in no decision meaning they decide to do nothing at all so the very first thing that you need to do if you're marketing to a new customer is you need to give them a reason to do something different and you do this by surfacing something that we call an unconsidered need And an unconsidered need is simply um, a challenge or a problem that they have that either they don't know about that you reveal to them, or that they know about and they don't think is important enough to solve, or they know about and they think that they have a solution for it already. So your job as a marketer is to let them, is to make them care about that unconsidered need enough to want to do something about it. And by the way, that unconsidered need should lead very clearly to your solution, it should be something that only you can solve. Um, but you service that unconsidered need, and then you need to reveal to them that what they're doing to meet that unconsidered need right now is flawed in some way. And you can call it a current approach, you can call it a flawed approach, call it current state, whatever they're doing is not sufficient enough to meet that unconsidered need. And what you need to do is you need to show them a new way of doing things. Now that new way of doing things just so happens to be something that they can only do with you. Um, But this is kind of a tried and true formula for actually creating demand and creating a reason to change in your world and that's really awesome that's great right except for the fact that you also want to make sure that you you add a little bit of urgency to that decision as well so what does that look like that means that you also have to answer the why now question to answer the why now question the first thing that you need to do is you need to surface a business issue that's relevant to them to connect to that unconsidered need right so that could be a change in the market that could be um a new competitor arises that could be a new buying group emerges some sort of business issue that you know is relevant to them to increase the urgency around solving that unconsidered need and then you close with demonstrating the business impact of making your recommended change and you do that by sharing a customer story by sharing likely results by sharing the expected outcome from adopting your improved new way now the thing that you'll hear from me about the why change why now message choreography nowhere in there do you talk about your stuff. So the idea of a why change, why now message is to recommend an approach and to surface that unconsidered need. It's not to pitch your product just yet. There's another message framework for that, which is the why you message framework, but you need to get them to become amenable to change before, they actually, before you actually tell them how great your stuff is. Um, So that's the why change, why now message choreography. And that works great when you're trying to sell into a new prospect. But what we know and what the experts tell us is that most companies get around 80% of their revenue from existing customers, which means that you need to make sure that you're not just marketing to new customers, but that you're also holding on to keeping and growing the customers that you already have. And there's two different frameworks that you use for existing customers Depending on what you're trying to get them to do. So if you're trying to renew business with an existing customer you're going to use the why stay message choreography. The why stay message choreography is specifically designed to reinforce their natural status quo bias and you do this by first and foremost documenting the results that they might have achieved by working with you by letting them know that they made a very very well informed and great decision to work with you in the first place and you do that by showing the progress that they've made and by also reviewing the agonizing process that they went through in choosing your solutions to reassure them of the wisdom of their decision um, you're then going to mention the risk of change what are the business risks that could happen to them that they could incur if they actually do move away from your solution and then what will that cost them Um, you can do that by talking about all the hidden costs involved in moving to a new platform for example the cost of retraining people the cost of running systems side by side all those hidden costs that the competitors never talk about when they're wooing your customers and then finally you're going to close by detailing the competitive advances that you've made to keep pace with the competition. And this is something that a lot of marketers struggle with because your natural inclination is always going to be to introduce the best, most snazzy, most disruptive new new elements of your solution that you can to get customers excited. What we've seen in our research is that introducing provocative new revolutionary capabilities during a renewal motion can actually hurt your ability to renew that business because once you introduce that new idea, that new solution in a renewal motion, they're going to want to look around and see who else is offering that. So in a renewal motion where all you want to do is to have people buy the same thing from you that they've been buying all along, all you want to do is just demonstrate that you're keeping pace with the competition because their natural status quo bias will say, well, heck, I'm not going to go through the pain and risk and cost of making a change if I'm going to end up with something that's just like what I'm already getting from my current provider. So that's what you do in a renewal motion. But if you're like every other marketer, you don't want people to just renew business with you. You actually want them to buy more stuff from you as well. So instead of a why stay motion, if you're looking to upsell or cross sell to an existing customer, You're actually going to use a different choreography. You're going to use the why evolve message choreography. The why evolve message choreography has some elements of both why stay and why change in it, right? So it's got the why stay element in that it does ask you to reinforce status quo bias by documenting the results that they've achieved with you because you want to reassure them that you are the right vendor to stick with. But then what you're going to do is you're actually going to talk to them about the evolving pressures that you see happening in their world. And this is where you really step up and you put on your trusted advisor hat. As much as people kind of sneer at the expression trusted advisor, you want to show them that you're keeping pace with what's going on in their market and in their world. And then you're going to actually share the hard truth with them. Again, leaning on the value of their your relationship with them to let them know that, you know what, they made a great decision to work with you five years ago but the world has changed and they're just not well positioned right now with their current solution to be able to cope with those evolving pressures. And so what you're gonna do instead is show them that they're not well positioned and that there are some risks to not doing something different. But what you also wanna show them is that by sticking with you and by adopting your recommended new solution, there's a tremendous amount of upside and value that they're gonna get from you. So this is the why evolve message choreography. And as I said, you see that it combines elements of why stay reinforcing their status quo bias to stick with you and why change to let them know that they do need to make a change, but they need to make that change with you, not away from you. So these are the message frameworks that we use when we create messages for our existing customers. And the result of that is that if you've got everybody in your organization using those same techniques, those same frameworks, depending on the situation of the customer, you end up speaking with one voice across your entire organization to your entire customer base. So I'm gonna pause for just a second now um, we talked about message frameworks and David, if there are any questions in the chat, I'm happy to answer them.
0: Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, that's a great start to the um, great start to the presentation. Uh, that's, um, it's really interesting, isn't it? How you can how you can really break down someone's psychology about what yeah. stage of the buying cycle. And I, I guess one question I had is, you know, you, you said, you know, you should you should demonstrate you know, good results, document good results when you're trying to get someone to uh, to resign. But you know, what if you don't have good results to document? How can people handle that?
1: So that's, that's an awesome question. Um, and I get that question a lot. And I think you know, one of the things, I, I think people put a lot of pressure on them to like show like amazing results. But I think one of the things that you could do, you don't have fantastic results to share with them. What you want to be able to document is progress. Like people are remarkably forgiving because remember that they invested in the solution too. They've got a vested interest in your solution succeeding. So if you can demonstrate that you're making progress toward their strategic goals, toward their business goals, and that involves making sure that you understand what those goals are up front and that you're marking your progress toward them, as long as you can show forward momentum, then they're gonna stick with you and they're gonna, that's gonna be good enough for them. If you really screw up, and if you, know, you have experienced a massive service failure that, um, that you know, can't wait until the renewal to talk about, we actually have an apology framework as, as well that, that I'm happy to share with folks if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn after the fact. Um, but there's actually ways that you can apologize to a customer that are going to make them more loyal to you after your than if that service failure had never happened at all. So there's ways to do that as well, but that's
0: a, that's a great question. Well, if you could share that apology framework with me, yep. that would be very handy, just for my day-to-day life, let alone business. Um, just quick note to the audience, if, they have, uh, if you have any other questions, please do get them in. Um, Leslie, I've just got one more for you and then I, sure. I think we can um, continue. Uh, still on the, on the, the theme of you know, documenting good results, what do you find is the best way to actually collect information about documented results?
1: So again, that's a really good question. And we think about documenting results, we think about results on on kind of three different levels. So we think about the project level, which is where most customer success teams, unfortunately, live. And they track things like adoption, they track things like logins, they track things like trouble tickets, and all those things are really important to track with your project team. But if what you're looking to do is to show the business value of your solution, you need to do more than that. You also need to track results on both the departmental as well as the corporate level as well. Somewhere along the line, there needed to be executive buy-in to your solution. So what you need to do at the outset, like right when you do that implementation kickoff, right when you, you kick off that project, is to identify what's important to your stakeholders. What are they looking at? What are they trying to do as an organization and establish those up front and find a way to either by talking to those stakeholders or by talking to your sellers, find out how your solution is performing against those metrics that are important to them. So again, if you're tracking metrics, you need to track on the project level, the departmental level, as well as the corporate level to make sure that your that your executive buyers still remain bought into your solution. Um, If you can get an executive buyer into one of your quarterly business reviews, for example, um, the last thing in the world you want to do is waste their time by talking about how many people logged into the system last month. You want to show them how your solution is helping them advance the things that are important to them. Um, And if you don't do that, that will be the last business review they ever attend attend and you don't want that.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I will. I will let you continue with your presentation now, as I don't want to take up too much of your too much of your time. So, um, great. Yeah, over to you. All right,
1: so let's go on. So, you know, so here's the other thing. So you just saw these beautiful message frameworks. I love them. I'm a huge advocate of them. I've been using them for 15 years, and I can, you know, swear to you that they work. But you know, the you don't create a message just for the sake of creating a message. Like it's not something that you create that you want to just hang on the wall and look at and say, oh, that was a great message. Right. You actually want to use that message. And you you, you use that message by um, putting that message into great memorable content assets. Um, the sad thing, as a marketer who spends a lot of time creating great content assets and great messages, is that sadly um, the audience is only going to remember about ten percent of any message that you put forward to them, that you that you deliver to them. Um, and you know, you can you can try all kinds of techniques and ways to try to get them to remember more, and that's awesome, but you might get them up to 12 or 15%, but they're only going to remember a very small percentage of what your message is. And there's a few reasons for that. They might not you know, have any reason to pay attention. You might just be delivering that message in forgettable content. Um, you might be presenting really abstract concepts that are hard for them to wrap their minds around. Um, but ultimately, you can't really move that 10% needle very much. But what you can do is control the 10% that they do remember. Um, if you accept the fact that they're only going to remember 10%, you say, all right, well, you know, what's the most important part of my message that I want them to remember? That's your 10% message. And you can use your 10% message in a variety of different ways through your content um, by, number one, figuring out what that 10% really is, making sure that they're paying attention to that 10%, and there's techniques that you can that you can use to do that that I'm gonna share with you in just a second. And just make sure that by owning that message, you're taking charge of what they need to remember long term. So let's talk a little bit more about that 10% message. The very, very best way to get people to remember your 10% message is to repeat it and to repeat it throughout your content, throughout your presentation. Here's an example of a, of a presentation that's got like the 10% message that looks different from all the other slides and is repeated throughout the presentation. And if you have been paying close attention to this presentation, there is a 10% message in my presentation. And there will be a quiz at the end of this presentation as to how many times I repeat it throughout this presentation. But identify and repeat your 10% message over and over and over again. And there's lots of clever ways that you can do this. And one way to introduce your 10% message is to use it instead of the traditional PowerPoint agenda slide that everybody knows. And you think about it if you've ever seen a if you've ever seen a PowerPoint presentation, you know it they all start the same way, right Like you start with the agenda and you list all the things that you're going to talk about and then you go back at the end and say, see, I said I was going to talk about these things and I talked about them right You can actually change that up quite a bit because people expect that right The brain expects to see, the same beginning to every presentation or piece of content and once the brain recognizes that it's something they've seen before the brain will actually turn out and becomes tune out it becomes really hard to be memorable but if you can transform your typical boring agenda slide into something that is more action oriented that is a little bit more 10% focused all of a sudden we've made this presentation not about what they're going to hear about but what they're actually going to be able to do as a result of experiencing your solution real time you notice down below here we have verb phrases all of a sudden we have like you know action phrases about what they're going to do versus topics which primes the brain and gets the brain ready to receive the information that you're going to share so again real simple way to organize a presentation or even an ebook instead of a table of contents have a 10% solution with uh, two or three supporting pillars that go along with it. Um, There's another quick example. Um, Another thing that you can do in a presentation or in an ebook is to have your title page or your cover slide introduce an offer, introduce a reward. So again, instead of a boring, hey, here's an overview of our services, show again a catchy title that's actually going to show them what they're going to be able to do differently as a result of viewing that presentation. And you always want to make sure that your reward ties back to your 10% message. Um, So that's just a quick overview of how you create content assets. Again, if you download the ebook that we're sharing with this this presentation, you'll see actually how we used our 10% message as an organizing principle for the rest of the content. Um, and David I'll pause here and see any any other questions in the in the chat
0: yeah absolutely so on that note we've, we've just had a great question come in um, and it says what is the ideal frequency at which a particular message should be repeated to, uh, to the same target audience um,
1: so that's a to the same target audience within the same I'm assuming that means within the same asset Um mm-hmm. it, it you, frequently, I'll, I'll say frequently, it depends a little bit on how long the asset is, how big the asset is. Um, in a typical standard uh, presentation, something like this, you know, you, you can see that 10% message repeated, you know, 10 to 15 times. Um, what you want to be able to do is you want to actually repeat that 10% message at logical breaks within the within the content, so every at the end of every section you'll see that 10% message created at the beginning of the next section. You'll see that 10% message repeated. Uh, The 10% message actually gives your readers or your viewers an organizing principle within their own mind. It helps ground them on where they are in your story, where they are in your presentation, where they are in that piece of content. Um, And it works really well, almost like as a breadcrumb to just help them get their bearings.
0: Mm. And I guess there's, there's a follow-up to that, which is basically that you don't want to, uh, well, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I would assume you wouldn't want to repeat stuff too much because you might actually switch the audience off a bit. Is that, would that be fair to say?
1: Um, so you, you want to repeat it as, yeah, so that's a good question too. You, don't repeat randomly. I guess mm. that's, the, that's the lesson that we draw from that. You're going to repeat your 10% message at logical breaks within your piece of content within your presentation. Um, but you're not just going to throw it in randomly in the middle of, you know, a section, because, again, what you want to do is you want to kind of orient. It, it's, think about the 10 percent message as like your home base. So you want to orient your audience always back to the home base. So that's a great question.
0: Got it. OK, so just one uh, final little question before we before we move on. So, you know, how can how can I come up with a good 10 percent message? Are there any good, solid guidelines I can follow?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. Um, think about the 10% message as, um, first and foremost needs to show what your audience is going to be able to do differently as a result of reading your content of learning your message of, um, you know, watching your presentation. So it should be action oriented or connected to some action that they can take to achieve a certain result. Um, it shouldn't it should be action oriented versus results oriented. Meaning if I were to say, um, if if I were to say um, a, a 10% message, something like, um, increase engagement with your audience um that's something that i would call like a well duh 10% message like of course you want to do that right what do i need to do to be able to increase ex- engagement what do i need to do to achieve a result so always make sure that your 10% message is action oriented versus results oriented and it should ideally connect to something that leads to your differentiated capabilities what is something that they can do with you that they can't do with your competition that is your 10% message because that's the thing that they want to you want to embed in their brains because then they're going to go out and they're going to talk to your competition and they're going to be like well can you do this and the competition <laughs> will have to say no
0: yeah okay uh we've we have just got one more question in but um we can answer that at the end i think um just so okay. we can get through the other sections but um uh whoever posted that we will get to you I, I promise so um right. leslie back over to you for part three
1: All right. And again, key to having great content is making sure that you are populating that content with great visuals, right? Because um, most visuals um, that I have seen tend to not incite action. They tend to leave buyers flat. The three most common visuals that I see that come across my desk all the time, you know, if it's a presentation, bullet bullet lists and boxes. Right. See over and over again, you know, and there's a kind of a perception that, well, as long as you're just giving them the information and it doesn't look really bad on the slide, that's enough. In fact, bullet lists with boxes, not memorable, not compelling. Everybody does them. And then you have these stock photos of uh, business people in unnatural contortions, doing things, shaking hands, um, standing on the edge of a cliff all kinds of things that um, don't necessarily support the story that are artificial and posed looking, and smart art um, that just, again, really simplistic, you know, contain a lot of bullets and just lists and things that are just too simplistic and not memorable, right? So what is it that you need to be able to do differently with your visuals to make them more remember? What you need to do is you actually need to be able to inspire action. I'm going to show you some examples in just a second of visuals that inspire action, but the thing to keep in mind about designing memorable business, memorable visuals is number one. um, Most business content, business presentation revolves around facts, processes, data, so you need to find a compelling way to visualize those things in surprising ways. Um, Make sure that you're following universal design principles, and this is something like I, you know, have designers who work for me. I am not a designer, Um, but I need to be design savvy enough to know when something is a good design so I can approve it or nix it, right? And there's just really simple principles that I've, you know, learned to master so that I can give intelligent and credible feedback to my designers about why I like something, why I don't like something. Um, and the good news is that you don't have to have graphic design skills to learn this, right? You can actually direct designs that will get buyers to that will get buyers to move that your designers can bring to life in beautiful ways. Um, and I'm going to just show you some real quick examples of before and afters um, that kind of illustrate some of these concepts. So here's a really simple one. Um, there's nothing you know, on its face, there's nothing wrong with this slide, right? Like this is just a slide about um, analyzing target audiences for a, retail, for a retailer. And it shows the three categories of shoppers, right? Again, you know, really simple shapes with words inside. You can just add some really simple visuals to this to make it a little bit more, more compelling. And what you're doing here, even though these are stock photos, is these are stock photos that are directly related to the the topic at hand there are stock photos that actually illustrate the actual characteristics of these different types of buyers. So again, this is a really simple, really, you know, kind of low cost way to just add a little bit of excitement into your presentation. Here's another one. So there's like there's two stock photo cliches that I see over and over and over again in the business presentations that I work on. The first one that I dislike the most is the the worried executive. And I know that you've all seen like the worried executive slide. It's like usually a guy with gray hair, sitting at his desk, holding his head in his hands, or looking out at some landscape, like being really pensive, right? So I call that like the, the, the worried businessman slide um doesn't really share anything and everybody has it in their decks and then the second one that i dislike almost equally as much is the happy person looking at their phone if you look at this guy this it, like there's no reason to be this happy actually looking at a phone. Like nobody smiles looks at their phone unless they won the lottery or something. But you know, certainly not somebody in a business context like being really happy about looking at their phone. And I will confess full disclosure. This was actually one of our presentations that that was a first draft from one of our designers that we had to change. So again, this was a slide that we created about, you know, kind of sharing. How people who went through our training programs evaluated their experience. And it looks really nice. But we actually transformed that slide into something that was a little bit less predictable. And the theme of the presentation that we ended up redesigning was all around this idea that, you know, our customers are part of a story and that story is constantly unfolding as they get deeper and deeper into our training courses and experience. So we created a whole origami theme. For this entire presentation, that was all around this idea of unfolding skills, and we just we just um, seeded little origami elements throughout that entire presentation. As a result, there was no need to show a happy person looking at their phone because we got the information, and again, we got this idea across that they are part of an ongoing experience that is still unfolding. Um, here's another quick example. Again. Nothing wrong with this slide from a design perspective. You know, it's it's got a little bit of action in it. But again, we wanted to transform this into something that almost didn't look like a PowerPoint, right? That was unexpected. What we find is that if you use unexpected images throughout your presentations, um, you can actually spike the brain to pay attention. Because again, think about the brain as this big, lazy organ in your body that doesn't have time to look at things that it's seen before but if you show the brain something that is completely unexpected it's going to it's going to perk up and pay attention to that so just using an unexpected image can make a huge difference Um, Here's another one. Again, okay, well, so here's an app that, you know, tells you where, you you know, where you can get fuel and coffee. But imagine if you were to flip this around a little bit. And again, use a really unexpected image. You're talking about oil, you're talking about, um, you know, you're talking about oil and gasoline and stuff. So maybe think about how you can use images a little bit differently that aren't predictable, that aren't just a a screenshot of of a phone, but actually shows how people interact with the product that you're selling. It's a little bit different here. Um here's another example of how you can actually use visuals to insert a little bit of unexpected emotion in your business stories. And we're going to talk about storytelling in just a second. But I think you know one of the things that a lot of business B2B marketers shy away from is any type of emotional or human element in the content that they create and that's actually a mistake because introducing recognizable emotions into your visuals into your stories is a great way to connect with your audience and this is a perfect example of that again The topic is connect let's show an actual heartwarming touching picture of people connecting in different ways. And I am not saying that you have to do this for every single slide or every single visual and every single piece of content. But if you can just intersperse these unexpected elements throughout any piece of content, it actually gives you a great spike and a great way. To elevate your content and make it look and sound different from everybody else's, and ultimately, that's what you really want to do. You don't want to look and sound like everyone else. Um, so that is how you create memorable visual designs. And David, any questions in the chat? Um,
0: well, someone has actually just said, you know, this is so great and so true about imagery. I completely agree. So not a question, but uh, a, a nice statement nonetheless. Yay! Um, <laughs> so, what one question I did have is, you know, let. I think everyone who's who's watching this webinar can you know agree that these are all great ideas but you know what if let's say what if your brand team actually pushes back on these suggestions what can what can we do about that
1: Yeah so what you really need to do is you actually kind of need to enlist your brand people as allies versus mm. enemies um and and one of the ways to do that honestly is to get them involved early on in the planning of it um share some of these scientific principles download the ebook um, and just send them this ebook and get them to understand. Um, and there's ways that you can integrate some of these ideas into, into your presentations while, while staying true to your brand, by, while, while staying true to your ideas. You can use the same colors. You can use some of the same imagery. You can arrange them in different ways. You can use animation. So there's things that you can do to enlist your brand team as an ally versus as an enemy. And the way to do that is to just educate them on the scientific principles behind this, and ultimately be able to show them that it's actually going to elevate your brand, it's going to make your brand more memorable versus less
0: memorable. Okay, so we're not fighting against them, we're, we're trying to work with them, basically, yes. is, is the message there. Okay, well, that's uh, that's all the questions for that section. So uh, now we're on to uh, part four. Um, just a a final note for our, a final note for our audience. Um, if you do have any uh, questions, please do get them in. Um, and we'll do our best to get through as many as we can at the end. But, um, for now, let's leave back to you.
1: All right. So messages, content, visuals, all really, really great, great ideas. But if you don't wrap them up into a great story, you are shortchanging all of your hard work. And there's a lot of hype in the market about storytelling in business and how important it is. And what we found is that most people actually don't have a clue what great storytelling really is. Um, One of the big mistakes I think a lot of sellers and marketers make is They spend a lot of time sharing statistics and facts with their audience. There's this perception. I think that um, in a business storytelling situation, you've got to be like very factual and very dry. Um, That's not the case at all, and you'll see why in just a second. Um, But what ends up happening is business stories tend to be very rationally and logically focused, and they don't necessarily play to emotions. And I think when people hear the word emotion in a business context, they think drama, they think tears, they think like, you know, kind of smarmy and, and manipulative, but emotions are much more fundamental than that. Things like um, loss aversion is an emotion, something like, um, you know, what we call preference stability, the reluctance to make a change. That's actually emotional in its context. So expand your definition of emotion to think about, Emotion, the terms of just the way human beings make decisions. Um, And most importantly, um, you need to show action over time. And action over time essentially means you got to tell stories that show change or growth in some way versus just a story for the sake of telling it. There actually is a scientific framework for telling stories that I'm going to share with you in just a second. Um, But there are definitely things that make stories forgettable. Um, but what you want to do is give the brain a reason to encode or remember that story so that, again, people will remember to act on it because people don't act on your message in the moment. They need to remember it in order to act on it when the time comes to actually make that decision. So there's actually three components to great business stories that everybody needs to master. And those three components are the perceptive, the cognitive and the affective elements of the story. A perceptive element is just simply the senses. How can you describe something in its environment, the way it looks, the way it sounds, the way it feels, even the way it smells, to put it in the context of the buyer's experience, the buyer's world? And again, this idea of action across time, it's not enough to just describe something. You've got to show how a situation can change like a before and after based on um, your solution cognitive is where the facts actually live so that's where you use your statistics your data um, you know the 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 kind of analysis side of your story which is important but i think business people overuse in fact um, in a survey that we did i think that 73 percent of the marketers that we surveyed admitted that most of their business stories rely heavily on facts and data versus these other elements And then affective is where you appeal to emotions, where you talk about their values, their motivations, something a little bit deeper than just the logical people make decisions based on emotion, not based on facts. That's just the truth. People make decisions with emotion, and then they will use data and logic to validate that decision. But the gut decision is always made in kind of the most primitive part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain. Um, So. What what you can do, I'll just I want to go back to this for just a second. So what you can do as a marketer is take these three elements: the perceptive, the cognitive, and affective, and think about them almost like dials on a radio. Right where you increase your base and then you decrease your treble, or you move things around. So if your stories are leaning a little bit too much on the cognitive side, see if you can amp up the perceptive and the affective elements a little bit more and dial down the cognitive. But find that nice balance between these between these three different these three different areas. Um, one way that you can actually um, introduce more perceptive elements into your story is through this um through this concept that we call telling details telling details are simply descriptions of your solution that go beyond fluffy adjectives and marketing superlatives telling details are things like examples and use cases and vivid descriptions concrete descriptions that you can use to make people remember more and we did uh, um, we actually just completed a behavioral study on the use of telling details in content. And one of the things that we found over and over again is that that business stories that use telling details, that use descriptions, vivid descriptions, that use use cases, that use examples, um, across the board were perceived as more credible, uh, more preferable, um, more convincing, and made people 95% more likely to purchase than content that just shared what we call superlatives, like words, like state of the art and comprehensive and end to end that don't have meaning anymore. Right. Um, but those, those examples, which ironically make your content longer. And as marketers, I know we're always, you know, being, being admonished to make, um, you know, make things as short and snappy as possible. What we found is that being a little longer actually makes your story more memorable, a little more credible, as long as you're using the right kinds of details. Um, the other really interesting thing that we studied in this survey was, um, I know that as a marketer, I've been told my whole career, sell value, not features, sell benefits, not features. Don't talk about features, right? What we actually found is that in the absence of telling details, like if you're not using those vivid descriptions and use cases, and you're just, you know, given the choice, your buyer's given the choice between straight benefits or features, you're better off just listing features than just describing benefits and when you think about it is because benefits are not differentiated the benefit um you know benefit increased revenue that's a benefit right who in their right mind as a marketer is going to say hey you know what's different about our solution is we're going to decrease your revenue right they become claims that are so common everybody hears them and they tune them out but you know given the choice between that and just like listing the differentiated features that you have People actually find features preferable. You know, just give me the facts. So it's just something to keep in mind as you tell your business stories. Figure out ways to describe them by showing your buyers, your readers, your viewers what they can do differently with your solution. Use those examples, use those concrete details, use those use cases, and stay away from the fluff, state of the art comprehensive end-to-end holistic like all those words that we love that we gravitate toward delete them from your vocabulary and just go for much more concrete descriptions Um, so that's the research that we have on that that's out on the corporate visions website the other thing that you can also do to share um telling details is customer examples really really important so again here's a presentation with your standard 10 percent message repeated strategically throughout One thing that you can do to share telling details is to insert a story or a case study right before your 10% message to kind of anchor the brain and make it receptive to that 10% message. And this is just a real quick example of a presentation that we created for a very well-known stock photo provider. And you can see there's a 10% message in here, which is all about giving storytellers the time and the ability to tell the right stories. But we seeded customer success stories right before that 10% message. So each one of these slides right here actually primed the audience to receive the 10% message. but there are concrete details within each one of these customer success stories that were telling details that helped them understand, help the, the users understand the value and the specifics of that solution. So you can use stories as sidekicks to make those points memorable. Um, And that is how you create great narratives. That is how you create great stories. And I promised you that there would be a quiz at the end of this as to how many times I repeated this 10% message. And anybody want to take a guess in the chat before we go to questions?
0: I might jump in with a guess. Um, (laughs) All right, go for it. God, this could be very embarrassing for me. I'm, I'm going to say 50.
1: No, actually it's it's 10. So we actually repeated this 10% slide 10 times, as you can kind of see throughout the the presentation. Um, So in answer to the question that was asked at the very beginning, how many times do you repeat a 10% message? In a 45 slide presentation, you saw it repeated 10 times. And I'm just gonna throw this up here right now before we go to questions. Um, If you like this presentation and you wanna get a little bit more detail on some of the content within, you can download this ebook. I'll leave this up on the screen. As we go to
0: questions. Um, Well, someone's gone for 25, someone's gone for 18, um, and someone 12. So uh, (laughs) I'm I'm radically out, but at least uh, I'm I'm not the only one who's wrong. Well, the good Um, news
1: is everybody wins because you all get the ebook. So Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, someone's just guessed 10, but I'm not going to allow that because (laughs) we already know the answers. Um, But fine. Um, Yeah, so so just very quickly before we get into the more in-depth questions, someone has just asked uh, the survey you're referring to. How many businesses were surveyed in that? Is that some information you've got at hand?
1: Um, It was a behavioral study that we did. I assume you're talking about the telling details um, study. So it was actually not a survey. It was actually um, a research study that we did. And and the reason why I distinguish between a survey and a research study is that surveys kind of ask people opinions based on um, kind of scenarios. Um, Our behavioral research studies, we actually do in a lab with real business people. Um, and I think there were 400 people who, business people who participated in this study. But the way that we do it is we actually give them a message and we ask them to evaluate it. Um, and we ask them to react to it. And we asked a lot of science-based questions as a result of that. So um, there, again, the research brief and the ebook based on this are out on our website right now. So you can actually download those and you can get like more in depth about the survey. I, I'm sorry, about the study. But it's a, little bit, it, it's a little bit, to call it a survey, actually does a little bit of injustice to the process that we go through to make sure that we get like real, legitimate business people interactions.
0: Sure. Okay. So w- one of the questions we've got, um, which came just after part two, actually, so um, who, whoever uh, kindly asked, thank you for your patience, um, said, as a technology services company, we offer three different services. So how can we avoid content burnout?
1: so you offer three different services you want to avoid content burnout um assuming you're not using the same content for all of the same audiences so one of the things that we do with our with our content is we actually have i actually have two sides to my marketing organization so i have a person in my market organization who does acquisition and thought leadership and then i have a um, person who does um, expansion marketing who takes some of those acquisition messages and adapts them for existing customers and we've got different different types of existing customers as well so depending on who Depending on who are in those groups, we might like adapt the message even more. But I think, you know, first and foremost, what you want to do is you want to differentiate between who are your prospects and who are your existing customers. Um, that right there is going to help eliminate burnout because there's nothing more irritating as an existing customer to get marketed to by organizations that don't know I'm an existing customer, that, that seem like they're trying to entice me to do business with them when I already am. So if you can do a deeper level of marketing to your existing customers to not just you know pitch your new solutions or pitch your, your promotions, but to actually show them How they can apply your ideas, your solution, your concepts in new ways and reveal new insights about that are related to your solution that might not even be about your solution, but are related to your solution that are related to the topics that your solution solves then they're not going to get bored because they bought you for that reason, right? So every piece of content that you send to an existing customer, it's actually going to reinforce their status quo bias. Oh, yeah, um, you know, I bought this solution because X, Y, Z. And look, X, Y, Z is still a problem in the market. And oh, this is interesting. So think about not so much talking about your stuff as talking about the business trends and issues that are related to things that your target audience cares about and then jump from there.
0: Yeah, so I guess the key then is to um, yeah w- work out where your customer actually is in the in the cycle. It's not so much about yeah. I mean, I, you know, I speaking from experience, I, I bought a fan the other day on Amazon, um, and according to you know Facebook advertising, they think it's just the first fan in my fan collection. <laughs> I I'm I mean, they advertise them everywhere, so
1: <laughs> it's good, Like you already bought the fan, you know. Yeah. Stop selling me fans.
0: You see, like. Um, okay, so let's go through some other questions. I want to get through as many as we can. Um, back to the visuals uh, section. Someone has asked, how do we make sure that the audience doesn't only remember the image but remembers the actual message?
1: Um, through the repetition of the ten percent message. Again, the image should spike the brain, and that's why you know when you're when you're arranging your content or you're arranging your um, your presentation um, use that compelling image right before your 10% message, because the image will prime the brain. Um, but that just means getting the brain ready to receive what comes next. It signals to the brain that the vivid image will signal to the brain that something big is coming. And then you hit them with a 10% message. So that's what they will remember. So if you are using really vivid, really compelling images, make sure that you're arranging them in a way that leads to your 10% message.
0: Got it. Okay, so another question following on from that bit says, I found the features versus benefits content really insightful. And it's one of the things I struggle with regularly to articulate my service offer. Do you have any suggestions of how to develop great messages that are not, as you mentioned, commoditized, like increased revenue?
1: Yeah, that is a fantastic question. And I. so I always say, put yourself in the mind of a five-year-old, right? Remember how, how five-year-olds will just like ask the same question over and over again, why, why, how, how, <laughs> right? Do the same with that. So when you see um, something like increased revenue, take a step back and ask, well, how do I do that? What do I need to do to increase revenue? Well, obviously, they need to buy your thing, right? But you don't want to say that. You don't want that to be the message but what's the action that they need to take to increase revenue? So, you know, perfect example, one of our, you know, lingering, you know, ongoing messages that we have at Corporate Visions is disrupt the status quo, right? Um, How do I get new prospects to buy the solution? You do it by disrupting the status quo. So, again, the message isn't get new people to buy your solution. Our message is disrupt the status quo. That's something that they can do uniquely with Corporate Visions training. So, therefore, that's the result. So, always try to distinguish between action and result. What is the action that they need to take to get that desired result? And the action is what you want to focus on.
0: Okay, brilliant. Um, just a very quick, uh, just a very quick question. Someone's asked. I love this webinar. It's been so helpful. I missed the beginning of the session. Is there a recording? Is there a recording? Sorry, you could send out. Yes, there is. Um, we'll be sending that out in an email um, with a link to the, the recorded session shortly. So, um, thank you for your question. Um, we're sort of coming to the end of our time today, Leslie. So, I'm just going to uh, ask one last question, and and this is perhaps a huge question that could warrant a whole a whole report on it, but. Uh, let's see let's see how you get on um, <laughs> says is it better for your readers to remember your product or your brand
1: oh that's such a great question um and I'm gonna like completely punt it by saying I guess it depends I I would say that uh, you know there's there's kind of two tracks that you want to that you you want them to remember both ideally because you know bear in mind that if somebody engages with you, they might not necessarily be ready to buy a product, right? But what they might want to remember is like, hey, you know, this content this company had some really good insights on you know, statical bias. This company had some really good insights on how to you know create messages for existing customers. And you might not need that right off the bat, but if you can kind of get embedded in their brain as somebody, as a as an organization or as a provider that really understands their world, then when you do introduce that product, it's going to logically fit together. Oh, yeah, right. You know, this is training for, for you know, it, for um, inside sellers. And this company is really good at disrupting the status quo. So it kind of goes together. So mm-hmm. it's not so much about remembering your brand as, you know, we traditionally define brand. It's remembering what you as an organization are really good at and mm-hmm. what you as an organization should be really good at should relate directly to the products that you offer.
0: You know, where my, my head went when I heard that question, I was just trying to think of examples of where that might be relevant. And I couldn't think of one in B2B, but I, I for some reason I thought of Rolex, which obviously everyone knows that brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, how many people could actually tell you, like, I don't know, the, the features of it? Probably not many, but everyone kind of sees that brand. or how many
1: different types of watches they offer because there's hundreds of them right but if i'm ever in the market for a fancy watch you know that i'm going to go to (laughs) rolex and i'm going to look at it so exactly yeah
0: and that's the final message of uh of today's webinar i think
1: that is awesome thank you everybody so much for spending time with me this morning i've loved talking to you
0: brilliant thank you very much for your time leslie um just a, a reminder to our audience um you will get a link to the full recorded webinar in an email um And we hope to see you again soon. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Leslie. And see you later. Bye. Bye all.